This episode is brought to you by Thorn, and I have some incredible news for any of you that are in the military, first responder, or medical professions. In an effort to give back, Thorn is now offering you an ongoing 35% off each and every one of your purchases of their incredible nutritional solutions. Now, Thorn is the official supplement of CrossFit, the UFC, the Mayo Clinic, the Human Performance Project, and multiple special operations organizations. I myself have used them for several years, and that is why I brought them on as a sponsor. Some of my favorite products they have are their Multivitamin Elite, their Whey Protein, the Super EPA, and then most recently, Cinequil. As a firefighter, a stuntman, and a martial artist, I've had my share of brain trauma and sleep deprivation, and Cinequil is their latest brain health supplement. Now, to qualify for the 35% off, Go to thorn.com, T-H-O-R-N-E.com. Click on sign in and then create a new account. You will see the opportunity to register as a first responder or member of military. When you click on that, it will take you through verification with GovX. You'll simply choose a profession, provide one piece of documentation, and then you are verified for life. From that point onwards, you will continue to receive 35% off through Thorn. Now, for those of you who don't qualify, there is still the 10% off using the code BTS10, behind the shield 10, for a one-time purchase. Now, to learn more about Thorn, go to episode 323 of the Behind the Shield podcast with Joel Totoro and Wes Barnett. This episode is sponsored by 511, a company that I've used for well over a decade and continue to use to this day. And 5.11 is offering you guys, the audience of the Behind the Shield podcast, a discount on every purchase you make with them. Before we get to that code, I want to highlight a couple of products that, again, I personally use today. One of the most impressive products they just released is their Rush Backpack 2.0. Now, for many of you, whether you're going to the fire station, the police station, whether you're traveling with your family, whether you're taking training courses, we have to fly, we have to drive, we have to take trains. And I have to say, I own multiple backpacks, many of uh, 5.11's different ones, but as far as a day pack, this one was the most impressive. There are so many different compartments. The way it sits on your back is incredibly comfortable. If you are a concealed carry person, there's also a spot for a weapon. So they've thought of multiple, multiple things that a man or woman would have to do on a daily basis. That is in addition to all of the products that I talk about a lot. Their uniforms fit for men or fit for women in the first responder professions. The footwear that they offer, whether it's the Norris sneaker or the Atlas system that is designed for foot health and therefore knees and back and hips and shoulders and neck. As a civilian, I live in a lot of their clothes as well. Their jeans stretch. You can actually squat down in them. We live in Florida here, so I wear a lot of their shorts, which again, very, very lightweight material. You can get it wet and it will dry almost immediately. And then moving to the fitness and tactical space, I used to have just a regular weight vest. Recently, I switched to a 511 vest and actually bought ballistic plates as well. My thinking was simply, if I'm going to have a vest, why not have one that protects me as well? And that TAC vest is trusted by law enforcement all around the country. So I mentioned they were going to offer you a discount code. So if you go to 511tactical.com and enter the code SHIELD15, S-H-I-E-L-D-1-5, You'll get 15% off not just that one purchase, but every time you visit their store. And if you want to learn more about 5.11, their mission, their products, then listen to episode 338 of the Behind the Shield podcast with the CEO and founder 
Francisco Morales. Welcome to the Behind the Shield podcast. As always, my name is James Gearing, and this week it is my absolute honor to welcome on the show Clayton Lindley. Now, Clayton is a professional scooter rider, base jumper, skydiver, and a member of the Human Performance Project team. So we discuss a host of topics from his journey into extreme sports, the radiation pollution of his hometown of Umatilla, the good and bad sides of social media, and so much more. Before we get to this incredible conversation, as I say every week, please just take a moment, go to whichever app you listen to this on, subscribe to the show, leave feedback, and leave a rating. Every single five-star rating truly does elevate this podcast, therefore making it easier for others to find. And this is a free library of well over 650 episodes now. So all I ask in return is that you help share these incredible men and women's stories so I can get them to every single person who needs to hear them. So with that being said, I introduce to you Clayton Lindley. Enjoy. Well, Clayton, I want to start by saying thank you so much for taking the time. I know it's very early with you today and uh, coming on the Behind the Shield podcast. Oh, no, thank you. Honestly, I've been up for a little bit. I worked out with my girlfriend and uh, I'm already I'm already kicking it. I got my Celsius and my coffee, double fisting it. You know, <laughs> we're doing good. <laughs> well, we were chatting just before I hit record and I wanted to get this on tape too before I forget and we progress through your timeline. But um, I said, you know, I was I was looking into your background and your your scooting, and uh, you corrected me there. Now, if I take a step back, when I think of scooting, I think of a dog expressing his anal glands. So, tell the people <laughs> listening the correct terminology when they meet someone who uses a scooter as a profession. So, so I'm a professional scooter rider, and um, it's funny. A lot of people are like, "Oh, what do you do?" I'm like, "Oh, I, I'm a professional scooter rider," and they're like like a razor scooter i'm like yeah normally yeah that's pretty much it it's just like a higher class level of a scooter right there's like the razor scooter there's also like the walmart skateboards but then there's also like the baker skateboards and then there's like the the root and tilt scooters that are like the higher class scooters um so people are like oh so you're a scooter i'm like well no that's like one that's not even correct english you wouldn't say skater right that doesn't make you wouldn't say biker so I don't even know where that's coming from. So, um, and then you said scooting or yeah, scooting, right? Scootin', yeah. Do you yeah, enjoy scooting every day? <laughs> yeah. Just like, do you enjoy scootering? I don't know. It's like, it's like my pronouns, you know, you got to get them right. <laughs> <laughs> Scoot, scooter, scooter. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Brilliant. Well, where are we finding you on this fine Sunday morning? Um, I'm at my girlfriend's house, but um, I live in Tempe, Arizona. I'm originally from Amarillo, Texas. Um, I've kind of bounced around a lot. I travel a lot as well, but I've kind of found myself in Arizona for the time being. And I actually love it. It's hot as hell, but um, yeah, it's tough. Like yesterday was 116 and uh, went base jumping and skydiving. And it was like basically every single day you're sweating. That's pretty much, it's like a free sauna. Walk outside and it's, 
time to sweat. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. It's funny because I, I drove across the country to California when I worked in Anaheim for a few years and I drove all oh. the way back as well. And where I am, it's been, you know, it's either side of 100 most of the time, but the humidity you know you dude i can handle it it's it's horrendous so it's, it, they're both hot as hell because obviously california's heat in the summer wearing you know full mm-hmm. class b uniform as a firefighter is pretty brutal as well but um this is i mean you have a shower and you walk out your front door and you're just like why did i even have a shower i, I feel disgusting yeah. the moment i walk yeah, out. yeah right house. and something that i never realized um i don't know how much time you spent in arizona but when i first because um, I was living in San Diego with my my roommate, best friend, business partner, Will Cashin. And we decided that we were going to move out of California because we were sick of California. Um, and this was in 2019. And he was like, yeah, let's move to Arizona. I was like, we're going to move to the desert. Like, are you kidding me? Like, I don't want to move to the desert. And and once I actually moved out here, it's I, I didn't realize how gorgeous it is here. Like, I... Because I don't know, whenever you think of desert, you think of like the Sierra desert and there's just like sand dunes everywhere or there's just like bushes everywhere. But this place is amazing, honestly. And the people are great. And uh, yeah, for the time being, it's definitely home. Beautiful. Well, I want to get to your decision to move out of California when we get to that point. But let's start at the very beginning. So you mentioned that you were born in Amarillo. So tell me a little bit about your your upbringing, what your parents did uh, and how many siblings. Oh, of course. So, uh, so I grew up in Amarillo, like you said, it's actually pronounced Amarillo, but since we're all redneck, we call it Amarillo. That's why I say scooter Um, too. (laughs) (laughs) All right. That's fair. That's fair. Um, yeah. So I, I grew up my, my parents, Roger and Shelly, my dad built my house actually that I grew up in. It was really cool. We lived out in the country. It was like, a there's this place called Cadillac Ranch. I don't know if you're not, I'm not sure if you've ever heard of it, but we lived like a couple miles away from it. There's literally like these these tin Cadillacs buried in the ground and you can go and just spray paint them on public on like private land, but it's open to the public to go out and uh spray paint it. So it's like this I don't know, it's a weird city. Some billionaire did it. I don't know. But um I grew up out in the country. We lived on like 13 acres and uh I was an only child. So I was uh, quite spoiled by my parents, I'll say, like, since I was their only kid, you know, like they, they let me try a bunch of sports because, you know, there's not another sibling that they have to worry about. So I was, I was lucky, lucky enough to go out and be able to try all these different sports. I played uh, soccer, uh, did karate for a little bit, even did fencing, hated it. I cried once. Um, <laughs> and then um, I started, uh, actually, at the time, I was going to a private school called uh, Trinity Fellowship. And I left I left there in third grade to go to a, a public school that was actually closer. And it's also out in the middle of nowhere in this town called Bushland, Texas. And um, I met some friends. Um, I met my best friend, Justin, Camden, and Tim. And we we ended up starting kind of just doing crazy stuff. We started riding skateboards. Uh, we started like riding bikes. I started racing bikes, started doing a little bit of, uh, hardtail dirt jumping on like a 26 inch mountain bike. Uh, started riding dirt bikes, four wheelers. We would, I don't know, like when it would snow, we would drag each other just with our bodies around with a four wheeler tied to a, a wakeboard rope. We would get a 
skateboard deck and wax the bottom of it and put like rails out in the field with jumps and like grind the rails and jump the jumps and like landing cactuses and stuff. It was, it was wild. Uh, there was, there was I actually counted this the other day. There was 47 of us that were in a two, two year age range in our neighborhood. And it was like a tiny neighborhood, like a little country neighborhood, but it was a train wreck. Like it was, there was cops getting called all the time. There was people getting hurt all the time. Like people, uh, people were like ding dong ditching everyone and getting chased around with shotguns. Like it was, it was wild. Um, but then while we were dabbling in all these different sports, I, uh, me and my friend, Justin saw these, these scooter videos and we're like, yo, there's pro scooter riders. We were also into pogo sticks at the same time. We had like a tramp pogo and like a, uh, tramp bike and stuff like that. And so we were looking at pogo stick videos and then we ended up getting onto related videos and that's scootering. So we started watching all these scooter videos, like, dude, this would be so cool. So we got a scooter and started like messing around on it. And we would like skate and scooter, skate and scooter. And then I started scootering more. And then he was obviously, he kept with skating. And uh, honestly, I fell in love with it. Uh, Cause it was like a mix of everything that I enjoyed doing because I also did gymnastics a little bit. Not like I didn't go to classes, but we just had a trampoline and, a, and like, I don't know, snow and mats. So we'd like flip off the trampoline to it. So it was like this scootering was this cool, like median of skateboards, bikes and gymnastics all, all into one. So it's like, you're able to be so creative because this is my opinion. A lot of people are going to disagree with me, but I think that scootering gives you the option to do like you can do so much more with it than you can with just a bike or just a skateboard, because you can do a lot of skateboard tricks, obviously not all of them. Um, then you can also do all the BMX tricks plus more, and you can do gymnastic style stuff. Like people are doing uh, triple backflips on the regular triple front flips. People are working on quadruple backflips. Uh, there's a guy that did a 1440, which is four rotations uh, on a box jump. And that's just like the, the beginning of, I mean, there's millions of things you can do. And it's just, that's honestly why I fell in love with it. Cause I was able to express, that was the way I was able to express myself. And, uh, and yeah, we can get into like what people think about scooters, but honestly, and I just think that it's ever since I found it, it was really where I was able to shine and able to like, kind of show my creativity and who I was as a person and uh and it's taken me this far so i mean here i am <laughs> when i think of scooters my my son is now about to be 15 so he was excited about this uh this conversation but i remember that was kind of a new thing when he was a little bit younger um and then now we've seen a full circle again where the electric scooters are coming in and you know every man oh, yeah. and his dog seems to have them um the timeline of this new scooter movement, kind of at what point did you find yourself entering in? So there is a crazy boom of scooters, which is pretty wild uh, with the e-scooters the e coming out and the freestyle scooters and kids scooters. It's like everyone has ridden a scooter in their life, some form or fashion, even if it's like those, um, I'm not sure what they're called, but we'll call it a dirt scooter. It's like a, a big, like a scooter with like BMX tires on it. Like people have rode those too, you know, that was back in like the 19th century, whenever people were riding those around. So it's like, 
scooters have been around forever. And um, so it was kind of cool whenever I started seeing people do tricks. And this was around like 20, 2012, I think. Yeah, it's like 2012. And um, I, since I was out in Amarillo, there was no other scooter rider. There was like one other guy that he rode bikes and he also had a scooter and um but no one actually scootered where i was from it was such like a niche thing because i grew up with bikers and skaters and it, it was cool because i didn't have any problems like we were all just one big happy family things just because it's a small town but i i started going to dallas which is like six hours away from amarillo and started kind of jumping into the competition scene and started meeting a bunch of people and started gaining a bunch of friendships. And, um, that's another reason why I really liked it. Cause it just, it, it was like this really cool community of people not trying. I don't know. I feel like there's, there's this thing about the scooter industry that people aren't trying to be cool. They're just doing it because they thoroughly love it. And, um, that's kind of what pulled me in. Cause it's like, there's all these people that have their egos set aside because they're doing something that they thoroughly enjoy, not doing something just to impress a girl or to impress their friends at school or whatever. They're literally doing it just for the pure love of it. And, uh, and I guess that was my insertion into the, the industry was that first contest and being around those people. So when I was little, um, I, I probably 17, 18, so young, um, we had, maybe it was a little bit younger than that, we had uh, a roller disco they would, we had this big sports mm. center in England. You have one universal sports center, and in that you play five-a-side football and badminton and volleyball and all these things. They they just reconfigure it, and then yeah. I forget what it was. Like once a month, they'd have this roller disco, and we also played roller hockey. Um, but again, not the American version, but a very English version with plastic sticks in a puck. But yeah. um, I was <laughs> the first person to see a pair of inline skates and buy them. So again, I was the weirdo at first, but funnily enough, as you start wearing hockey skates, you realize that you're a lot more mobile than you are in the quads. So it went right. from kind of yeah. being ridiculed to actually being accepted. Now, fast forward a few more years and you could supposedly, you know, figure out if someone was homosexual based on their skates, <laughs> which is today's philosophy, which I don't quite understand. But uh but yeah, so I, so I get that kind of weirdo element, but it's it's an interesting thing you said because if I grab a skateboard now, if I'm not a passionate skater, I'm kind of assuming the identity. You, you kind of see that even with motorcycles, is that there's a like exactly. a you know a quick, easy start kit, you know the cutoff jacket and you know the the Harley bandana and all that stuff, and there's a lot of people that do it for the right reason and there's some people that do it just so they can be seen on a harley so exactly, I, I exactly. Can, they just like that. set this image for themselves because they want to try to impress someone or try to go to a bar and pick up like some biker chick like they literally just put on a persona and it's so annoying and and i hate to say this but i feel like a lot of skateboarders do that and those are the people that hate on people that ride scooters because they're maybe it's because they're insecure about themselves so they're like trying to bring it out on other people. And since scooters are like the lame thing to do, quote unquote, um, they kind of take it out on us because they're like, oh, like, why don't you be cool like me? Blah, blah, blah. It's like, well, that's not the point of life, right? The point of life is to enjoy it. You know, like you don't need to waste your time doing something that you don't necessarily like or something that you're good at, you know? Like, I don't know. I, I just think it's, everyone should do something that they thoroughly enjoy. There's there's professional 
rip stickers. Like, you know what a rip stick is? Um, it sounds familiar, but I'm not seeing it in my mind. It's like, okay, so there's two wheels and then there's like two, two little like foot placement things. And then there's a little rail in the middle and Almost it wiggles the, back the, and forth. The snake board kind of thing. Yeah. And there's professional people that do that. There's pro pogo stickers and like, it might not be your cup of tea, but that person is enjoying their life. That's how they've chosen to, uh, spend their time and find their enjoyment and some and that's what brings them happiness and that's what should be important and people should stop tearing everyone down but nowadays it's like everyone's so insecure it's like there's no stopping it. i feel like it's only getting worse <laughs> well you would think that a profession that trains to save lives wouldn't have that issue but where we have it with even the helmet, the firefighter helmet, which is iconic in America, but right. is literally almost 100 years old now. There is so much better technology out there. And you will get people like tearing apart the European helmet, which actually, when you look at the features, when it's got all the, the things it's supposed to have on it, it's just a much better, more progressive modern day helmet. But right. And that when I look at that, yeah, I see, as you said, ego. I said, so you don't want to be the best firefighter with the best gear you want to look like the firefighter from the movies you know what right. i mean so i i you're can, I can parallel cool. exactly you're, you're basically trying to look cool what you do is already cool but you don't see navy seals wearing tin helmets they have the latest stuff but for some reason right. we got stuck in this idea that this outdated leather helmet that sucks in all the carcinogens that is heavy that you can't look up because it hits your tank that it falls off the moment you turn your head that that's better than these advanced one now that have all this technology built into the helmet and not even that you choose not to, but you will actually ridicule other people the same way as a skater would ridicule a scooter, even though exactly. it's a piece of wood with two wheels on it and has no bearing on your cool factor or your sexuality. Exactly. And I never thought about that in the firefighter world. Like I, I never thought, I mean, it makes sense because I feel like that it, that's the same way with with everyone like in every single sport there's something that people are like oh we got to keep it old school you know like there's there's like uh in, in the action sport industry there's people that still film like standard definition content so they film on like a 480p camera and it's like yo like you know that we're like like i don't know they're just trying to stick with the old times rather than like moving forward which i guess that's everyone's that's like that's what they like so i guess that's like a bad example but um, I just think it's funny that like people can't just, I don't know, like, especially for your industry, cause you're still a firefighter, right? Um, I transitioned out four years ago, almost exactly. I think oh, it was like last okay. week was my anniversary, but I mean, you know, like the Marines say, I truly believe this. You're always a firefighter. If I drove past a wreck right now or a house that had, you, you know, get out and help. you would do the same thing. And I'm still, I mean, I'm still a paramedic. I'm still a licensed paramedic as well. But yeah, you never ah, stop nice. doing that unless you just disregard your health and training and let yourself go. But to me, you know, member of your community, if you were a firefighter, you're always a, a firefighter. Yeah, that makes sense. Because the people that still wear the old school helmets, obviously they're putting their safety at risk to try to be cool, right? Is that really what it comes down to? I mean, ultimately, yeah, because you're not moving with with the times. Um, and you know, yeah. I think there is there's a whole like philosophy in the profession, though, and it's the mistaking um, tradition with history. Our old, you know, uniform is history, and it's a, it's an amazing journey, and it's what our forefathers wore. But tradition is courage and compassion and service and selflessness. That's tradition. The pieces of equipment we wear is is purely 
our protective clothing and that doesn't deem whether we are good or bad at our jobs. So you'd think, you know, we wouldn't have an ego in our profession, but we're comparing, you know, your world to mine and we're seeing the same kind of personality traits in both. It's just people. That's really what it comes down to is everyone's trying to fit in somehow or especially nowadays. I think, I mean, I feel like I'm the last person that should be able to say this because I, I spend so much time on social media and I post like so much content and so many different like, uh, social media platforms. But I think social media is really a big reason why everyone's so like ego driven, you know, like I would, would, would firefighters still want to have that image if, if there wasn't like all these photos and advertisements and movies put out, um, showing that persona, like, would they still, would they want to upgrade and have something that's more safety regulated? than uh wearing a hundred year old helmet like would i don't know like if if there wasn't all this like technology and all these personas brought out by the media and through social media like would they still want that like, i don't know or conversely if there ended up being a new film or new movement where this new helmet was deemed cool would there right. all of a sudden be a mass exodus to that new technology? Not so much because of its effectiveness, but the fact Probably. that now you look cool in that. Like if, if the new thing was a frap hat, like a little leather cap. <laughs> <laughs> oh, because in skydiving, that's like a the old school thing is that like you you would wear like the leather frap hat, and there's people still in skydiving that that's like think that a full face helmet is super lame and then they should be wearing like a little shitty leather cap it's like well no <laughs> like if you run into someone in the air you're gonna die like 100 yeah. percent. it's it's so funny but it's just like the old mindset i don't know but we'll end up going in circles because i just feel like it's the same same pattern over and over again with yeah. everyone yeah, no, but it's just interesting, you know, parallel to very different worlds. Well, you talked about being dragged behind a car. It's funny because, you know, I look at my child and I'm like, oh, I didn't, didn't do anything too crazy. But when we started talking last week, I remember being dragged behind a car with a rope behind it in a shopping car, shopping trolley around parking go. lots <laughs> and like standing on someone's hood. And they would barrel towards this wood chip pile and then break and we'd go flying off as like stuntmen. So, a wood chip pile? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh, that so, sounds painful. Yeah, it was less fluffy and, you know, comfortable than one would think. <laughs> um, but uh, when I'd speak to a lot of people, especially in military first responder professions, but also I think some of the extreme sports environment, there's usually some sort of subconscious driving element that, sends us towards danger you know sometimes it's it's a need for adrenaline sometimes i might even be filling in a void that was there you know for whatever reason when you look back at your early life were there any elements at all that you would consider you know trauma traumatic that maybe subconsciously steered you into some of these high adrenaline sports that you're in now um i think it really comes down to like because i have thought about this a lot i was like I have a problem, right? Like, especially like I'm a like I base jump, and when I took my class, uh, my course uh, for base jumping at at the Prime Bridge, the my instructor Tom, he was like, he's like, all right, just letting everyone know, like you're all like 
messed up in some form or fashion. Like you're here for a reason, like you're not normal. And I agree with that, you know, but who wants to be normal? What is normal? Actually, that's a better question. Um, but I think what it came down to, um, my parents both did a great job raising me. Like they really did. But since I was an only child, I feel like I was really lonely a lot. And since I was out in the country and I had like, before I went to my, the public school that I went to, I literally had no one. I would just like go like mess around in the Canyon or I would, um, go like hit ant beds with a bat or something. I don't know. I was bored, <laughs> you know, like, uh, but I think that's, or I'd go and build like little bike jumps in the back or I would just dig for like hours at a time. Like I would dig for literally like six, seven hours with a shovel. Just, I don't know, had nothing else to do. So I think maybe it comes from just being like really lonely when I was younger, maybe. Cause like both my parents worked, um, not saying anything bad about them at all. They're amazing. Like they're literally my favorite people, but yeah, I think it really comes down to just being lonely and bored and you know, a lot of almost every, I don't know, this is my theory, like people that either invent something or do something crazy are just extremely bored people. And they're like, all right, how can I entertain myself? And you just slowly from a young age, you're like, all right, how can I entertain myself? Like, Ooh, I'll go kick a soccer ball. You know, that's the first level. Right. And then the next level is like, Oh, I'll, I'll go make a, a little jump for my bike. That's the next level, right? And then you just progressively get to this level to where you're like jumping off a bridge with a parachute, you know? <laughs> like, it's just this steady climb that keeps going and going. And there's this like itch you never, or there's like a scratch that you never get, right? Um, and that's definitely where I'm at. I feel like I'm kind of slowing down a little bit because... I just have so much on my mind, but, uh, I'm definitely always thinking like, all right, how can I scare the shit out of myself even more? <laughs> That's kind of like always what's on my mind. So I don't know. Well, it's interesting because you look at the dynamic, especially, you know, of your generation where now there's two parents both working and, and with all the best intentions, you know, we've got bills to pay and oh, yeah. things are very expensive. But when you look at tribes, you know, as they say, it takes a village, you know, you are usually traditionally surrounded by lots of people and, and the men may be out hunting, hunting or the women might be out gathering or however the gender works in that particular dynamic, but the children are always going to be around some of the older, you know, uh, tribal members and other children. And yet in the, the kind of latchkey generation, you do have a lot of kids on their own. You know, and I was telling my son mm -hmm. this earlier, and this isn't so much a bad thing because I had f uh, four brothers and sisters. So I had oh, you know, wow. somewhat of a, a unit around me, but I grew up on a farm. So I would be out for hours and hours in the fields playing army man and looking for wildlife and doing all kinds of stuff. And so it, the good side of that is I think you get good at being bored. You get good at, you know, being mindful, basically, you know, being okay with, with your own um, presence. But I agree with you. There is a kind of crushing loneliness. And I think that comes from that deep evolutionary element where you know, ultimately, you are, especially as a kid, you are supposed to be surrounded by people. Right. Yeah. And, and I didn't live anywhere close to family. Like my grandparents lived two hours away. My cousins lived like three hours away. Um, and then the rest of my family is like all up north of Montana, Wisconsin, um, Minnesota, all that. And 
um, yeah, I think it, that's really what it's come down to. And, and yeah, exactly. Like you growing up on a farm, you understand that, you know, like, I guess your imagination has to get so crazy because you have nothing else to do. There's no one else around. I mean, you have your, oh, excuse me, you have your brothers and sisters, but at a, at a point, it's like, you're kind of just on your own. And, and I think that has helped me in life because I am able, like, I'm very comfortable being by myself, you know, like if, if no one's around me for like a couple of days, like I'm, I'm fine. Like it's, it's nothing I can, I can keep myself entertained. It, it's honestly insane. Like give me, give me a, a pencil and I'll be like good for hours. You know, if I'm, if I'm really that bored, but nowadays it's like people don't actually no one's bored anymore. Like, have you really thought about that? Like there's, there's so many things that you can do now to keep yourself occupied. And I think it's honestly a problem because it's, it's compressing people's creativity to a, a whole nother level because when they're bored, what do they do? Go on their phone, go on their computer, watch Netflix. Like you're, you're always being stimulated. And that's, that's not how your brain's supposed to work. Your brain is supposed to be bored. You know, and that's how like some of the greatest technologies ever been made. It's not like someone was sitting on their phone one day, scrolling through Instagram, like, wow, you know, it's a great idea. A electric car, you know, like no, no one's, I don't know, like it takes so much thought to really create something amazing. And I think our, especially the new generation that's coming out, like the people that are in middle school and high school right now, like, where are they going to be? Like, are they, are they going to be the greatest engineers of all time? Is there going to be another like Albert Einstein there, there might be, but there's going to be a lot less smart people because everyone's so like occupied and um, so worried about trying to impress other people. I had a guy, Michael Easter on who wrote the comfort crisis and uh, another previous guest, Johan Hari, who wrote uh, lost connections. What was his new book called though? Stolen focus. Um, and both of them. Those talk, are some good titles. Yeah, I they are. Read those. They're two excellent books. So one is, you know, but really about that we're in such a comfortable environment these days. I mean, I'm sitting here now yeah. with my AC at 75, even though it's blistering outside. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, it is so comfortable. So it's about seeking that. But in his, in his journey, he found himself in Alaska, like, you know, someone had dropped off gear and other people and he's on this, you know, the deserted landscape on his own and he realized my god I, i'm very uncomfortable being bored and it's the same with johan's book and i see this in myself like you just nailed it the moment there's a pause and i watch my son do this he'll play the you know streaming game um and he's very very good at partitioning doing a bunch of other stuff too but when he's online he gets killed on Fortnite, whatever and he immediately goes to his phone and starts watching youtube you know and it's like yeah we, we all those moments in line at the store simply just waiting till you get to the checkout and you, you oh, I've got to pull my phone. Or you could just stand yep. there and just, just think and listen and smile exactly. at the other people. Honestly, what I've been trying to do recently is, um, I, and I got an Apple watch for this exact reason, uh, that has, that has internet. So I'll just, I'll obviously have my phone in the car, but whenever I go out and do something, if I go, um, I don't know if I go into a grocery store or, or do anything. I just leave my phone in the car just so that way I can have that moment of just boredom, 
and it does feel really weird. It feels, it feels almost wrong. Like I'm standing there online. I'm like, I should be doing something. And then I'm, and then I have to kind of like dial myself back a little bit and just be like, all right, no, it's, this is completely natural. And then you look around and every single person's on their phone, like every single person. I don't know. It's weird. It's, 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 it's really weird, but it's becoming, I guess, really normal as well. So FOMO is real. FOMO is definitely real. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) for real. (laughs) Well, going, I'd love to kind of get into your journey because there's obviously, as you said, an irony because you do produce a lot of uh, online content. I mean, I I post several times a day, normally resharing other people's things because there's so many inspiring positive stories out there that I think need to be seen as much, if not more than the toxic stuff on the news. Um, But before we get there, a lot of people had scooters, but very, very few became, you know, one of the pinnacle riders in their sport. So walk me through your journey of first trying one and then what allowed you to reach the level that you did? So when I first started, like I said, it's just like it really drug me in, right? The community, the the, the just aspect of, of a scooter. It's like the best tool in the world. Like if you really think about it, like anyone can hop on a scooter and just go. And that's what's amazing about it because uh, it's such a it's such an accessible tool. It's like to get from point A to point B, a non-motorized vehicle, other than a bike, obviously, like a scooter versus skateboard, what would you rather take for a mile? Like you would much rather take a scooter. Absolutely. Right? Unless it was like downhill. It's, it, <laughs> true. But it's like, it's such a good, I don't know. It's just a, it's a good transportation vehicle. and with that being said, it's, it's also a great freestyle tool because you can take it from grinding to also on the biggest ramps in the world on the mega ramp. Like you can ride, you can ride it anywhere. You can ride it to work, you, but yeah, this is a better example. You can ride it to work and you can ride it on a mega ramp. Like there's, there's so much stuff and you can ride on dirt, snow, everything. Cause there's snow scooters. Now there's dirt scooters. Snow scooters are like, they're cool, but I'd rather snowboard. But um, I, so in 2014, no, I started scootering in 2010. Yeah, it's 2010. So in 2014, um, I was, I was living in Amarillo. I had just turned 19 or I was about to turn 19. And I just had this, like this urge that I needed to move to California. At the time I had like a, a decent social media following. I had a couple sponsors and, uh, I was making videos all the time, like little little edits, little montages of me writing, um, tutorial videos. I was doing everything. I had like a video that got a couple million views on my channel that helped. Um, and then I had probably like 20,000 followers on Instagram, maybe. I think not even that. And and I just had this urge that I really needed to go to California because I'd done a couple trips there. Um, a couple tours and I was going to go stay with one of the, my sponsors. And I, I just sent it. I, I was just like, I knew that if I didn't get out of Amarillo, I was going to end up all like most of my other friends, either drug, drug addicts or in jail. And I felt myself starting to go down that, that path. Um, cause I was drinking a lot of alcohol. I was like starting to dabble in drugs a little bit and I was like, okay, I need to get out of here for real. I need to, 
I need to get out of this town because it's a it's it's a small town, so it's easy to like get consumed into those things because, and it's also easy to to lose your dreams. And so I was like, okay, I'm gonna move to California, and I'm gonna stay there. I don't care what happens. And uh, ended up sharing a bed with my friend Corey for uh, for three months. And I worked two jobs at two skate parks, actually. And one skate park, I got paid by the government uh, to like watch over the skate park, but I would just ride all day. So I, I had this, this insane opportunity that I was getting while I was being paid. Like I had my sponsor that didn't pay me like anything. They paid me like a hundred bucks a month. Like, what is that? And uh, so I worked at Escondido Sports Center in Escondido, California, and uh, I would I would I was able to ride for eight hours a day, no matter what. And it's an amazing skate park. It's actually a a, a rollerblades like a rollerblade park. So everything's big. Everything's like uh, I don't know. It's a crazy park. So I was really able to progress really really quick, and um, I started gaining a lot of followers. I met all like the big riders down there. My friend Tanner. Uh, at the time, my friend Jake, and then all like the other top dogs all lived in, in California, like down in uh, SoCal. And so I just was doing a lot of networking. I met the right people. Uh, started making more content, started going to more events, started going to like action sport camps, meeting more people there. And I just was like making all these connections and um, also just able to, to train all the time. Oh, and I did summer camps too in the morning at uh, Claremont Skate Park down in San Diego. So I'll get the ride for that four to five hours in the morning at that skate park. And then I would go to the other skate park later that day and ride for eight hours. So it was like, I just had so much time to practice and I was able to progress so quickly and get so um, consistent on my tricks. And um, granted, I beat the crap out of myself, but um, that's, that's really how I was able to get to, I guess, what you would say is one of the pinnacle riders is because I, I really just put all my focus into it. And that's, I think that's the only, re the only way you can get, I wouldn't call myself like successful, but, um, that's, that's where you're able to find success is if you do put your heart and soul into something, you know, cause if you half-ass it and put half your attention into this half your attention into that, you're, you're not gonna, you're not gonna get anywhere. Like I, I just, I knew I needed to go like full focus all the way in and, um, and it really, it benefited me. And now I've been to 30 plus countries, um, never paid for any of the flights, like gotten to go to some, to, to some amazing events around the world. Um, Ton, like so many, I, I know so many people now, like it's, it's insane. And, uh, it's all because of just doing something that I loved. Yeah. Well, I can relate. I mean, when I transitioned out the fire service, this podcast was about two years old and I threw everything into this and, you know, it's three, three episodes a week. A lot of times the, the conversations anywhere from an hour and a half to two and a half, three hours. Um, so it's a lot research, editing, you know, promoting on, on social media. So that's really the, the, the tool that I use is Instagram mainly. Um, but I, I see that just compared to some of my peers that have started one, but they're still working as firefighters and they maybe they teach and do some other things. 
and they are still able to put it out. But I think the the growth and popularity of this is because this is everything to me now. I, I served mm-hmm. it wearing uniform, and now my whole mission is to not only spread what we see the uniform professions of you know what's actually happening in our countries and you know the, the health and the mental health but also to protect the people that i loved in those professions like just yesterday i learned a guy i worked with in anaheim just passed away at 56 years old i mean these are real oh, wow. real consequences so that's what drives me too so i know exactly what you're talking about when it's a burning desire and you know you don't do it to the point where you disregard family and health and stuff but that's yes. pretty much what you're thinking about you know, when you wake up in the morning, when you go to sleep at night. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. Because I um, I have a lot of friends that just, I don't know, I think it's maybe they just don't believe in themselves. But a lot of them, I think they they want to do things, but they don't put like their, they don't put their time into it, right? Like, there's that, uh, there's that saying, you have to have 9000 hours into something to be good at it. And that's true. You know, like you definitely didn't start the podcast being like great at conversation, right? Like it was kind of like weird to be in front of a camera. And then like, there was a lot of technical, a uh, lot of technical, technical difficulties, if I can even talk. <laughs> um, and same for me, you know, like I, me, me and my friend, Justin, we, we made skits back in the day. We did all this editing. So whenever I created my company and dialed with my roommate, Will, um, or best friend. I don't know which one to say because we're best friends, roommates, and business partners. So it's like I don't know the whole shebang. But so having all that practice, going after making videos for years, then creating my own content was just so much easier, right? Because I'd already been doing it forever, and then whenever I put my heart and soul into our company Undialed, that's when. It, it honestly was pretty easy because I just like, it's like what I've been doing for years, you know? And, uh, I was able to take the skills that I have and implement them into a company and create something like really cool. And, uh, something that honestly has changed my life in in an insane way. And it's only getting crazier now that like we're, we're hosting events and we're doing even like more social media accounts. And now I'm helping with uh, Ryan Parrott's uh, human performance project. So uh, it's really exciting. You know, I've, I've, I've gone from creating little skits from a tiny YouTube channel to running the largest uh, social media page or social media company and freestyle scootering like worldwide. So it's, it's crazy. Well, let's explore that for a minute. I mean, a lot of people listening are, you know, of multiple generations. So I'm 48. So, you know, I literally was a child before there were computers, you know, at least in, in schools and in most right. homes all the way through to where we are today. So it's been a, an amazing, you know, lens because I remember before and then I am still here today. Thank God. So, um, but through my kind of older eyes, what I see on social media, like, for example, it's a great tool for me, but it's not, I'm never going to be, nor do I want to be an, an, a quote unquote influencer because I'm promoting the podcast. So I want it to be right. focused on the guests. I don't want it to be my face. I'm not pushing out content, you know, as, as Gary V would talk about all the time. Um, but I'm resharing a lot of amazing stuff and then putting in, you know, the, the videos that I make for the promos. And then every so often I will jump yeah. on camera and actually say something that needs to be said. 
but I see so of of the of the two sides that I see, people like yourself that have something to offer that are making great, great videos. I mean, even like let's say Jocko Willink, you know, his podcast with Echo Charles. Yeah. I mean, they produce some beautiful videos. But then conversely, I see people doing fucking dances to TikToks and it's just like, <laughs> oh my God, police officers and firefighters. It and hurts. They're like, oh God, it just, yeah, it's, it, it's absolutely awful. So through this journey that you've been through, starting from YouTube to where we are today, talk to me, talk to me about the the path you've taken that's created success as a content producer and then what are some of the pitfalls that you've seen not not throwing stones at other people but you know just some of oh, the, yeah, no. the the kind of wayward <laughs> direction that some people find themselves yeah um well first of all this is something i think about too is like i am the last generation to be able to cuz when i was younger i didn't like my parents didn't have a cell phone like we had like little tiny TVs, no flat screens. And we didn't really, we internet was just starting to come out. And so I think it's kind of cool. I was able to begin my life without it. And then now it's like transitioned into it. So I kind of know what it's like before and uh, after. And so um, that also means that I've gotten to explore so many different types of of content and creating things. Like when I was younger, I had this thing called digital blue and it was this, uh, little camera you would, this little blue camera you would set up and you could take photos with it. And so you can, like you could create little like claymations. It was really cool. And so that was kind of my, my first step into creating not content, but creating things because uh, me and my friends would sit around and would like have little action figures and like have a battle and stuff. Like it, it was so cool. And uh, my dad is in the, the media industry as well. So I've just been surrounded by uh, filming, editing, lighting, like audio, literally my entire life. So um, I knew that's what I wanted to do ever since I was younger because I've like idolized my dad. And so I. So now that I'm in this position, I I also have him to like help walk me through things, which is really, really nice. But I think where I really found success is just being consistent and uh, not jumping on bandwagons because I think that's important. I think um, the biggest thing that honestly annoys me nowadays is that people don't really create original content anymore. Because all their content is literally lip syncing content that's already been made. And that's really irritating because that's just another reason why people's creativity is just going down the drain because they're not being forced to actually do anything creative. They're literally copying other people nonstop. Well, it's, to me, it's narcissism, narcissism, because now you're taking, as you said, someone's audio, someone's video, or you know, someone's dance moves or whatever, and you're just inserting your face into it. So the only thing that's coming out of that is look at me. Exactly. And so people always say like, oh, how, how can I get big on social media? And how can I uh, gain a following? It's like, well, don't do what other people are doing. Like spend some time, sit, sit back for a moment and just think of like, all right, there's all these people doing this. I'm not going to do that. When, when Will and I first started on Dialed, um, this was like during the big vlog frenzy, 
everyone started vlogging. Like that was the cool thing, right? Um, what you need, what you had to do at the time to get big on YouTube is you had to get a little, a little like Sony camera and have in front of your face and selfie film everything. Like, hey, I'm getting food. Hey, I'm at the skate park. Hey, I'm at the beach. And uh, me and Will looked at that and we're like, all right, we're gonna start a YouTube channel, but we're not gonna do that. So the goal was that we wanted to make videos that every single video was completely different than the last. Like we've made, we've made like, Un, like I, I couldn't even tell you how many different types of videos, but we've made like we've made skits, we've made uh, little music videos, we've made uh, obviously like tutorials, we've done recaps of stuff, we've done reviews of videos, like we've done like everything you see on YouTube, but we've done all that for scooters, and we've kind of implemented it all into this page called Undialed which the term undialed, which as you probably get is like dialed means that it's, it's dialed, it's solid. It's, um, it's like, you know, not, not loose or whatever, but undialed is like loose. It's kind of all over the place. There's no, uh, there's no pattern to it. Right. So that's what we wanted to do is just have this kind of this page that was unlike anyone else. And we didn't want to do vlogs because we were like, well, that's stupid. Like no one, no one really cares about what you're doing. Right. Like in the grand scheme of things, people are going to watch you because they're jealous of you. Right. And we don't want people to be jealous of, of us. We want people to be inspired to go out and do things. And um, where we really found success is honestly doing like DIY projects and we would do like, like, oh, you can build your own rail at home for like 50 bucks. This is what you need to go get from Home Depot. You can do it in an hour, right? And then you and your friends can go and do it. And there was like this insane, like we made this, this little rail. It was literally like a four by four with two PVC pipes. And you would just like drill the PVC pipes in and kids loved it, right? And it just gave, it gave, one, it gave, I think, parents and a kid a project or it gave friends a project to do together which then builds friendship and i think that's something that's really important to any community or just any just life in general is like building more friendships right because that's all what we're striving for that's how you get over loneliness and that's how um i think a lot of people pull themselves out of depression and suicidal thoughts is really just having friendships and having people around you and knowing that like you do have other people to help you with things or talk to, you know, and I think a lot of people don't have that or at least don't think they have that. So we want, we wanted to, I guess this wasn't our intention, but it just kind of happened organically. It was cool um, that we were just making content for people to do things together, you know? No, I think that's that's fantastic. And the, the diversity is one comment that I've got on the show. Like here we are, you know, you're a professional um, scooter rider. There um, we go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, slowly I had to process that. Um, you nailed it. <laughs> you know, and then yesterday I was talking to a police officer that was, you know, uh, is a paraplegic now after an officer-involved shooting. You know, I mean, there's just such wow. a... And I get that comment a lot. And that's because when you become undialed, when you open, you know, you widen your blinkers, 
you can pull from so much. And I, I find that what you're talking about. If you're the funny guy and every single your video is trying to be funny, eventually you're not going to be funny anymore. But yeah. if you're the human being who is sometimes funny, sometimes opens up and is vulnerable about the mental health struggle, sometimes, you know, is is doing a Spartan race and showing, you know, whatever it is, I think that is what pulls people in. But it's funny when you're talking about the vlog. I knew that I was posting a little bit too much um, when I uh, would see, you know, or take a picture and then, and then a caption would pop in my head. And I'm like still in real life. And I'm like, what the fuck? Like, I just want to take a picture, but immediately I'm thinking, oh, what could I write with this picture on social media? And right. it wasn't like I was doing it a huge amount, but that was a big red flag. Of, oh, shit, I'm deviating from real world and starting to think that even when I'm in a moment, oh, what what kind of post would this be? And it might be something of meaning, but regardless, that means I'm losing the ability to be present. That's, yeah, no, that's a good point. I feel like I've found myself doing that sometimes. Or I go out and do something just to film it. And then I have to kind of like hold myself back. Like I, I recently started not filming my base jumps because I, um, I, I want it to be an experience. I don't want it to be content. You know, I want to enjoy my time with people. I don't want to have to be worried like, oh, is my camera charged? Do I have enough? Like, do I have enough memory? Did I wipe the card? Is there things on the card that I still need? Like I, I don't want to care about that anymore. You I think about your shoot <laughs> initially. I, I want to think. I want to think about the process, but it's like I think base jumping is the best example because it's such a a primal experience. Like it's such a insane feeling of like seeing rock like rush by you and seeing like the ground coming near you. It's it's insane, and I think cameras sometimes take away from that because you're i mean i've had cameras on my head for so long from scooters uh like being filmed in general like i just don't even think about the camera but it is an aspect of um of something that can deter you from actually having a good time you know and and the whole the whole reason for it is to have fun. And I kind of stopped filming my, my scooter, my scootering a lot too, because when I would go to the skate park, I would, when I would get there, I'd be like, okay, what do I need to film? What do I need to do? Like, I need to, I need to get a content. I need to film something. But now I'm like, all right, no, let's go. Let's have fun. If there's something I want to film and it comes out organically, we'll do it, but I'm not going to force anything. And honestly, I've, I've really found a lot more enjoyment from it. Um, Granted, I am not posting as much as I used to, but I would almost rather do that than I would rather not worry about my mental health because I'm trying to get a video to for my ego than like I I would rather have a good time with friends than yeah, like affect my ego because I didn't get like a the right video or someone didn't film it right or something. Cause it just ends up ruining your day. And it's like, I don't know. I'd rather just enjoy that moment and just have a good time and actually be happy and let things happen organically instead of forcing it. Yeah. And I even see that in, in my life and even the fire service, like I've always been told, you know, by my now ex that I don't take enough pictures of my son, but 
again, there's a fine line between not documenting at all and just not being present. So there's times where I've gone to get right. my camera and I'm like, the memory's in here. The, you know, the picture is in my mind and we'll get, you know, exactly. some. And I heard I had a guest recently who was a firefighter and we were talking about, you know, social media and the fire service because what really irks me is the kind of hero shot in front of someone's burnt down house where a crew's all there with their sooty faces leaning on the pike poles, you know, the kind of narcissistic look at me picture when someone's fucking yeah. life has been destroyed in the picture behind them. I think that's so, yeah. you know, unethical and, and poor taste. But they said, but make sure you take lots of pictures of other things. So when you're training with your, with, you know, with the crew, when you're screwing around, that's the time to really document and and have that pride but there's times where you need to be present and when someone's house is burning down or their car is just wrecked it's not about you no and it's definitely not the time to take a camera out no because like i think personally if if my house burnt down or my car was on fire or something and someone was taking like someone was like hey man really have a good pull take a photo of me like i'd be pissed i'd be so annoyed i'd be like dude like you know my like my life is currently in shambles like i'm my mental health is at all time low right now <laughs> like, and and all you care about is yourself and getting some likes like dude like fuck you like seriously like that's it's such a i don't know that's just the world that we're coming to it's like there's people that will go out and and take videos of them giving food or money to homeless people not because they want to it's literally just to have that video and that content of, Hey, look at me doing something good. Follow me. Not like, I don't know. There's certain things you don't need to film. Like you, you don't need to prove to people that you're a good person. Just be a good person. Like, it's I not agree. that hard. I agree. And I think the, the real you know, heartwarming ones are the ones where someone you can tell like clearly detached from the situation has captured that, whether it's a security camera or a police you know, body cam or, you know, whatever it is, exactly. someone's just done a good thing and it just happens to have been caught on film. Those are beautiful. But yeah, like, hey, guys, I'm going to give this homeless guy $100 and, you know, let's see what he does with him. We'll, f- we'll, f- we'll secretly film him. Oh, my God, he gave it to another guy. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I, I agree. Like, kindness, Yeah, that's still... That st- person is still receiving a, a semblance of kindness, but like you said, it's fueled by narcissism rather than selflessness and compassion. And I'm sure that person sees it as fake, you know, like that, that homeless person that has like, obviously I'm sure they're, they're not in the the best mood, right? Like they're, I don't know whether they're on drugs or they're coming down or they're coming up on drugs, who knows, but they're definitely not in the greatest mental state. And I think having someone show up with a camera, they came in one hundred bucks. Like, I don't know. To me, I wouldn't feel like I, I wouldn't feel like that person actually cares about me. They're just literally just trying to get likes because it's, it's obvious what they're doing. And that's that, that really irks me too. Absolutely. Well, I watched uh, Joker again last night. Have you seen that film? Is it the new one that just came out? The one, the one that was out about three years ago now, Joaquin Phoenix. It's the very dark, serious drama one. Um, but uh, anyway, it's, it's such a, a powerful insight to all these compounding elements that contribute to mental ill health. And it's, it's basically Joker's backstory. But um, there is a, a scene where um, it kind of almost like the Daniel Tosh type, well, I like Daniel Tosh, but you know, where they're ridiculing a video of, and it happens to be the guy that ultimately becomes Joker, who's, you know, mentally just 
absolutely in pieces trying to do a stand-up comedy routine and they're laughing at him on this guy's show and he gets invited on and he through his eyes like oh my god i finally made it to this guy's show well the, the actual backstory is that they're just going to laugh at him even more but that's kind of what i see the jerry springers you know all these these kind of shows like it may seem like that people are interested in you but they're not that you're just there so they can laugh at you and it's the same kind of prof- exactly. profiteering that i see in some of these fake kindness videos as well yeah, no, I agree. I haven't. Okay, actually, out of that full movie, that's the only scene that I've seen. I've seen. Wow, I said seen a lot. Um, I I saw that snippet on on TikTok or something, and it was like, yeah, yeah, it was like him on the show, and I can't remember exactly what happened, but I need to watch that movie because I've heard it's really, really good. And if it's if it's if it's that deep and that like, um. Yeah, I guess if it's that deep, I definitely need to watch it. Absolutely. Well, someone, I, I'm hoping it hasn't been, you know, banned because, I mean, as you know, the world of in- social media, God forbid you put the wrong hashtag or the wrong music and all of a sudden you're banned. And But uh, someone didn't edit, so I'm hoping it kind of circumnavigates the the bots to keep it off. But I, I wrote a whole piece on that um, alongside this kind of great montage of the film because, yeah, I mean, through my eyes as a firefighter and through my eyes six years doing these conversations the the incredible parallels for so many things and this film was released in 2019 then 2020 comes two years of absolute shit show it's even more powerful on the back end of that now so yeah i mean i can't urge you to watch it strongly enough wow okay yeah, then I'll definitely have to put that in my notes. I have two books to read and I have a movie to watch. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, just one more area, then I want to transition to Human Performance Project. But you mentioned about Amarillo, Amarillo, um, and many of your friends finding themselves down the paths of addiction or crime. When you mm-hmm. look back now, having at least a you know, multi-state experience and then traveled through you know multiple countries, what elements contributed to many of your friends finding themselves on that path when you look at the dynamic of Amarillo life? Um, I don't know. That's a good question. I think because a lot of, a lot of those people that went down that path were like my skate park friends. So I know a lot of them just had family problems and also it's a town where it's kind of a black hole. Like when you're there, you're kind of stuck. Like you can only get out if um, it's, it's just really hard to get out because you, most of the people grew up there. They went to school there. They've never left. Like all the people that I know that struggled with addiction, never really traveled. They never went anywhere from what I know. And I think that they just had, a loss of dreams and um and then they would all hang out together and it ended up being like oh they would i never did any of this but they all it kind of well i never did like the hard stuff but it kind of went from you know everyone drinking at a house when we were like 15 16 and then started smoking weed doing coke and then turned into pills and pills and coke and then it turns into heroin and meth and then that just becomes like their life because there's nothing else to do like the town is so boring the only thing to do in amarillo is to well for us at least was to go to the skate park and then go party skate park party skate park party and that was that was it 
And I think it just, that's just, I don't know. It's, it's easy in smaller towns to get on that path. Cause all my friends uh, that I know now that also grew up in small towns, they all have kind of the same story. Like everyone is honestly just so bored and kind of just lonely and don't know what to do with their life that they just turn to doing hard drugs. And uh, funny enough, my, a couple of my friends just got out of jail. Um, actually, I shouldn't call them friends, but like, you know, people that, that people that I used to hang out with are just now getting out of jail for like selling and doing math. So it's insane. And I, I, and I'm glad that I got out whenever I did, because I think I would have also gone down that path pretty easily because like, those are the people I was surrounding myself with. And, um, I think also from, I don't know why exactly, but I feel like when I was younger, I just had like this like hatred to my parents at the time. Maybe it was just like being a teenager, but just from like being by myself all the time and just being stuck at my house. Like I never wanted to be home. So like, uh, when that, when I got my license, I was like never home. I was always in town because we lived like 20 minutes from the city. And so I was always in town, always like staying at people's houses. Like I was honestly, I didn't come home that much. Um, but yeah, I think that, yeah, I could have easily gone down it. And the more I think about it and the more that I'm happy that I found something that I loved, I'm, I'm thankful, honestly, which my parents gave me that opportunity because they let me try so many different things to try to help me find what I was thoroughly, what I thoroughly loved to do. And so they did allow me to do that. And, um, I'm really thankful for that. So was there an industry in Amarillo's past that was thriving that left like you see in a lot of places there's a void after you know whether it's the car industry or or Hoover or so, you know, whoever it leaves So there's this um nuclear plant called Pantex and they make nuclear weapons there um and weirdly enough the since they had so many so much nuclear waste buried at the bottom it got into our aquifer and like put radio like radiation into all the aquifer so everyone got affected by it so there's like people with extra rows of teeth i had a, a tooth that grew on the roof of my mouth because of that and they and it had to get removed and i thought it was normal and my mom saw it one day and freaked out but that's so people are like redneck and mutated in amarillo so it's um, <laughs> um but there's honestly it's i I think what used to be there was there's a helium plant and I lived right by that as well. Um, and that was big. I can't honestly, I don't know how long ago, but beginning of the 1900s, that was a really big thing that drove people to move to Amarillo. And then the thing now is people work at the prison. There's two prisons, um, Pantex and then Tyson chicken. Those are like the, that's what everyone goes and do, goes and does, or they go into the oil field. It's like the most generic thing. So it's like everyone that everyone that's in that city, those are their options. And they're like, wow, this is what my life has come to really. And, uh, like all my friends that live there, like don't have a vision. They don't have anywhere they want to go. They're scared to leave. They're scared to go out and do something with their life. Because they don't think they can. They're like, well, I've been here my whole life. Like, what am I going to accomplish? You know? 
See, well, I'm so glad that I asked that question and thank you for, for sharing that bit. Well, firstly, I would imagine that a gas leak in a helium factory is probably hilarious for a start because everyone's speaking like three octaves higher than that. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, um, but on a serious note, I had a guy who's a lawyer, Rob Belot, who was the real man um, in the Dark Waters movie. So that was the one where, um, oh my goodness, I'm forgetting the name of the company now, but one of the chemical companies uh, was poisoning the local town and the cows were dying initially and then they realized people were dying, getting cancers and all kinds of stuff. Um, but it was the the chemical PFAS that were in Teflon and some of these other products, which scarily is in um, firefighting foam and our bunker gear, our firefighting gear as well. Um, really? But you know the impact of that one unethical practice from from that one company affected so many lives and that those chemicals are in your body and they're in my body they're literally called forever chemicals they find them all over the world from from this one product so the fact that that for example that we didn't even know that story the amarillo story the radiation story that again these giant corporations are making money hand over fist and poisoning the local community that's another story that needs to be heard in itself well, also, it's 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 not a company; it's the U.S. government doing it. Oh, really? <laughs> so it's even it's even worse because Pantex is a government funded uh, like area because they make the nuclear weapons for the army. Or maybe, actually, now I'm thinking about it, maybe it is a uh, a private company, but they like have a government contract or something. Yeah, that's but, more, that's uh, more it, like it's yeah, probably. But it's it's a city; it's a city in itself. Like Pantex is like it's so well guarded and there's like these it's crazy there's like these these big concrete bunkers all around it so that way if a nuclear blast happened they would all simultaneously like fall to prevent the blast and we would do like uh my mom would always like uh tell me that like if if something happened because uh pantex was number five on isis hit list for 9 11 and um so they would have to send in an army to to do that and if that ever happened like there would be a full-out invasion and so my mom was like never let your tank get past half because you know you might have to evacuate because of like a nuclear blast or something which is crazy but um yeah no they they definitely are like destroying the town i don't know if it's as bad anymore maybe it's contained a little bit but it it messed up a lot of people and I was affected by it too. You know, you think well water is good, but it's radiation water. <laughs> that is terrible. I mean, it's terrifying because you think about, you know, Chernobyl and some of these famous ones, but you don't ever mm-hmm. hear of Amarillo. And that was as no. real as, as Chernobyl was to your, you know, yep. fellow residents. Yeah. I mean, pe- I don't think people were dropping dead, but it definitely is affecting people. And maybe that's another reason why I'm doing a bunch of stupid stuff with my life because I am a mutant. <laughs> 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 all right well then on that note let's transition to more crazy stuff so so firstly okay. walk me through your journey into to skydiving base jumping and then how you met ryan yeah so i've rode a lot of very big ramps and kind of done like the craziest things that i want to do on a scooter there's more stuff i want to do but um trick wise on my scooter but for the most part i've done like basically is as big as you can go on a scooter, I've, I've like done it. And so now that I don't have a mega ramp to ride every day, you know, like a big 40 foot gap, six story rolling. I I don't have that to ride in my backyard. Like some people. 
And so I needed to find, I needed to find something to, to scratch that itch, you know? And so I found skydiving. I did my first tandem. I loved it. Like literally in free fall, I was like, yep, this is dope. <laughs> I want to do this. Um, I'm sure you've skydived before, so you know. I had the same experience. Well, I probably had a sim- different experience because I literally like physically and mentally shit my pants before um, and then did the, sta- the tandem jump. And then by the time I hit the ground, I was like, I want to be an instructor. <laughs> so, yeah, I can. I had that contrast from the fear of to the actual experience, and it was night and day. Wait, did you end up becoming an instructor or getting no, your license? No, because I was oh, in okay. New Zealand and I never pursued it after that. But I was from, oh. from fear to absolute elation. Oh, that'd be such a beautiful place to jump. Yeah, it was oh gorgeous. It was a 14,000 foot drum. So you had a little extra free fall uh, without having to go on the O2 and everything. But uh, yeah, absolutely was stunning. It, was it North or South Island? I think it was South Island. I jumped, if I'm not mistaken. I think it was a place called uh, Tapau, I think, if I got that right. Um, uh, okay. Near Nelson, I think. Oh, cool. But I, for people listening in New Zealand, they're probably like, oh, you idiot, that's north. But anyway, wherever wherever that is, at the two rocks, it, it was there, but it's it was fine. amazing. It's fine. I won't judge you. It's okay. <laughs> I feel like you're getting your geography like pretty spot on. Um, so I found skydiving, and my goal is I wanted to fly a wingsuit because I just like have seen videos, and uh, I just think it's – it's human flight is just amazing, right? Like the, the things you're able to do with your body and, uh, I don't know. It's just in the, in just the way you can manipulate air is insane. Like if people don't know this, but there's people that like, you know, like terrain flying on wingsuits, people do that without wingsuits because you're, you're able to fly your body like that, which is insane, right? Like you can get your body in like a pencil position and cup air with your shoulders and really like get the right body position and you're able to move forward like obviously not as much as a wingsuit because you don't have the lift that you're getting but you're able to fly your body like that and when i first started skydiving you you take your a your a license course and then or before before you get your a license you take aff and I think it's like jump three or four, you start tracking. And that's what tracking is. It's like manipulating the air to get forward, uh, forward movement with your body and able to fly your body quite literally. Like you can turn, you can like go really steep and fast. So that's really something that I was like, I thoroughly enjoy. Like it was so freaking cool. Just because you go from uh, terminal velocity, which is like 110, 120, and then you can go to like 200 miles an hour, just like flying your body steeper and like faster with the forward, mo- the f- like forward momentum. Like you can, I guess there's really no such thing as terminal velocity because you can manipulate your body to fly in certain ways to fly even faster. Um, cause there's people that fly like 250 miles an hour with their body in free fall. It's a very short free fall, but, um, you're able to do it. So, so I did that and I instantly just was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. Like, this is the craziest feeling ever. Um, and then after like 120 jumps, I had started thinking about getting into base jumping and because that's kind of like the next step, right? Like once you kind of have skydiving, you're kind of like not scared of anymore. Base jumping is the next thing. It's also the, it's also the idea of like, in skateboarding, BMX, and scootering, there's the park riders, 
And then there's the street riders and the street riders, like the heavy metal dudes, like super rad, you know, they don't care. They don't follow rules. Those are the base jumpers. That's like the street version of skydiving is base jumping. And also the most primal thing you can possibly do, you know, like it's, it's such an insane experience. And, uh, so I went to the prime bridge last year, like October of 2021. And I did my first jumps and I was like, oh my gosh, this is insane. And it's so scary, but it was like, I finally really had that like scare factor again, that I lost skydiving. I've not necessarily lost scootering because scootering is like really scary a lot of the times because you can hit your face. You can, I don't know, there's so many things you can do like so quickly and it can get violent really quickly. But bass really brought back that like super intense and um, this like weird meditative state that you get into because you, uh, you know, the whole time you're thinking about like the whole process, the jump, you don't have anything else in your mind. And uh, I haven't let it consume my life because I, I know it could very easily because I have a lot of things I need to worry about and I want to like stay safe and not do anything stupid. But um, yeah, it was honestly like such an amazing thing. So in January, my agent Spencer, he kind of helps me with like deals and just like legal things. Uh, he lives in Dallas and Ryan Parrot lives in Dallas as well. He's been on your podcast, right? Uh, Ryan has. Yes. It's a couple of times. Yeah. 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 So, uh, so Spencer was like my agent. He was like, I have a great person to put you in contact with. You're both nutcases. And, uh, he's a Navy seal. And I think you guys would get along really well because you're very similar. So I was in Dallas one day, uh, one day and we met up, we had, uh, we had lunch and it was, it was really cool. Like we, we kicked it off pretty quick. He was, he's a great dude. And, uh, and I was running by him, like some ideas I have that I want to incorporate with scootering and base jumping. Cause I've, I've done a scooter base. I did like a backflip off the prime bridge to, and pulled my parachute and I want to do more. There's a lot of other things that I have in mind. And Ryan was very intrigued and he was like, I think we can make that happen. Uh, so we kept in contact. He was really helping me with, with base jumping. He, uh, he actually gave me one of his base jumping rigs to like, uh, help in promotion. He gave me a bird's eye view, uh, rig and a two thirty Lobo parachute, which is 230 square feet of a parachute and seven cell. And it sinks versus a skydiving parachute where it like does more of a glide. Um, but yeah, he, he gave me that and which was like insane. I was like, wait, what are you doing? You're giving me what? <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> so uh, I forget exactly how it came up, but he'd been talking about his human performance project in 7X. and. I, I was like, Hey, like, how can I be a part of this? He was like, Hey, like, I, uh, like we were, we we're kind of talking about like how I could be a part of it. Cause he wants me to, to be there. And I was telling him that I could help with the social media, like during the event or during seven X. And, uh, then it kind of just came into me just running the social medias in general. And so now I, on top of and dialed, I am now running the social medias for seven X. 
and I just started doing it at the beginning of the month. And uh, it's it's been really cool so far. And I'm I'm so stoked to be a part of it because I've dealt with suicide and in my family and with friends and um, I have friends that went to the military and I know how it how like the PTSD is. And I'm sure you had PTSD from being a firefighter as well. And it's like, um, if I'm able to help people and there's so many people that deal with PTSD and also have dealt with suicide and stuff like that and trauma in general. And, uh, it's cool to be able to be a part of a project that is really going to help people and, uh, make people more mentally healthy, you know, and physically healthy too. Absolutely. So give me give the audience your description of your understanding of seven of, of HHP and then ultimately seven X. So human performance project is going to be this, this project where there's multiple athletes, but there's three main ones, Ryan Parrott being one of them. Um, well, there's five total, but there's three that are going to be like, talked about mainly. And what they're going to do is have basically every type of scientist. Uh, so it'd be brain doctors. I'm not sure what the actual terminology is. For so that. yeah, we've got neuroscientists, nutritionists, physical neuroscientists. therapists. There we go. Yeah. Physical therapists, every, every type of scientist doctor implemented into this nutritionists, and they're going to make these guys as healthy as possible. And then implement this thing called seven X, which is going to be seven, uh, seven continents, seven days, seven jumps, like base jump and skydive, um, seven marathons and seven swims. And this is all like back to back to back. So it's going to completely like destroy these guys and, and everyone involved. And I know I'm going to be destroyed. Uh, cause I, I luckily get to skydive and base jump in all the locations. So that's going to be really cool. And I'm freaking stoked, but they're going to use all, they're going to document all of it and be doing tests on everyone the entire time. I think mainly the the five athletes are going to be doing all the tests on and really have a lot of data back things to give to the people to show like, um, Oh, but af- after, obviously they get broken down, they're going to be, uh, recovered and use the correct nutrition and, uh, you know, using meditation and everything to get back to where they were previously. And they're going to use all of that to put into a manual and give that out to everyone for like a, a low price. You're not going to pay like $2,000 for this, this manual. It's going to be something really cheap that everyone can afford. Um, and also be something that everyone can practice human performance themselves. And that's something that was really sticking out to me about this is because I've, I've been super into nutrition. I feel like not as much recently, but now that I'm really a part of this, it's really helping me focus on it more. Uh, my girlfriend's helping kick my ass working out to get me back in fighting shape. Uh, so I'm really appreciative of that, but I don't know, instead of just posting things like, Oh, if you're sad, go talk to this person. Like they're actually going to give things to the public that, would actually help them like focusing on the nutrition, like, uh, just literally everything to make people healthy. And I think that's something that we're lacking in society because the, the media doesn't promote health whatsoever. Um, especially with COVID, they didn't talk about like working out once 
they just said like, just stay inside, stay away from people. Don't go to the gym. Don't do that. No. Um, and then kept all the fast food restaurants open. So it's like the media is not going to help with anything and big corporations aren't going to help with anything. So now it's up to the common folk like us to go out and actually make a difference because it seems like no one else is going to. Well, I think the other thing, as you said about the, the cost of the manuals, what is the beautiful part of this is that's then the fundraising for the nonprofits, the Bird's Eye View Project and Sons of the Flag, the burn charity that Ryan has as well. So this isn't a profit-driven thing at all. It's just... Nope. Just giving back. Exactly. Taking this, this year-long longitudinal mental and physical health study, the preparation for the, as you said, the actual event itself, and then the reboot, the recovery from that, and that can then be applied to the first responder professions, the military, et cetera, to help people that are on-ramping into that profession, people that are in that profession stay healthy and, and reboot from deployments or yeah. shifts, and then transition out healthily as a retiree. Because can I ask you something? Like, I guess I can. This is, this is the whole <laughs> No, you point. can't. <laughs> but, but uh, oh, damn it. No, so when, when you're a firefighter, were you ever trained whatsoever in becoming more healthy, how to deal with trauma, how to deal with your mental health or anything? Was that ever something that was given to you? It, it really wasn't. Um, there, there are definitely some bars that were set by some of the people that I trained underneath, whether it was the fire academy, whether it was the orientation of some of the departments that did you know that particular person of that cadre had a background in say nutrition or hydration or strength and conditioning so there were some individuals but as a as a philosophy as an ethos there really isn't and even it's something i talk about when i have people that are kind of breathwork gurus on the show the only air on planet earth that we have access to in a fire is what's strapped to our back but yet there's no real discussion on cardiovascular efficiency and there's no discussion on meditation and, and um, stress response and breath work. So even, even that example, it's, it's insanity with the knowledge that we have today. I get it, you know, 60, 78 years ago, it was different, but the incredible access to information that we have, that's what makes me excited about this whole thing is you're taking the best of the best. A lot of these people that we talked about work with, you know, SEAL Team 6 and some of these other elite, you know, professional sports athletes and, yeah. and you know, the best of the best. And they're bringing it all to the men and women in uniform and, and everyone else, anyone else that can access it as well. So I think that, you know, that is a huge missing part. And as I mentioned, I just lost, a, you know, a Anaheim brother. Um there is a cost to the way we're doing it at the moment. And I'm hoping this manual will also be part of the push towards creating a healthier work environment for our men. We have to put the bar back high where it, where it needs to be, but we got to create an environment for them to, to thrive rather than to be broken down. So it's going to be groundbreaking for so many different reasons. Absolutely. I think also, I think, especially for firefighters, because that, that is a very violent thing to be doing, right? Like running in a burning house or a burning apartment, like things are falling around you. There's people screaming. Like it's a very traumatic experience every single time that you go in. Like it's, it's, it's something that your average person, if they dealt with it one time, it would traumatize them for life, but they're doing like a firefighter is doing it on a very regular occasion. Right. I'm not sure if it's a daily occurrence, but 
It's um, it's less frequent than people think with the fire specifically, but you add the gun violence, the car crashes, the trees that right, fall on which someone. is also traumatic. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's it's the the medical side is a bulk of what we do, and with that comes a huge amount of trauma. Right. Yeah. Just in, just the job in general is like it's so mentally scarring, and I think like I don't know. I feel like I've I know a couple firefighters and there's not a single captain that's ever like, Hey guys, like, I don't know, let's sit in a circle and talk about something or let's like, let's, let's go and do breath work or I don't know. There's, there's never anything that people are actually implementing. Obviously you guys are like working out. You're, you're trying to like take supplements or whatever to stay healthy, but you're not like working on the most important organ in your body, which is your brain. And I don't think anyone does. And I know, after I've had, like, I've, I've suffered with a lot of concussions, like 20 plus. So my, you know, my brain's been rattled quite a bit. And, um, I've, I've known that I need to really focus on my mental health as well. Like I, I've taken brain scans to make sure I don't have like CT or anything like that. I've really like kept up with that, but the brain trauma is really, really scary. Even if you don't hit your head, it's still going to affect you in some way. And uh, I feel like we don't ever focus on it, ever. Yeah, well, I think a lot of this is going to come out with with the yeah the brain injuries. A lot of people had on the show, especially the SEAL community and breachers in law enforcement. Oh, yeah. Sadly, some of the damage you can't actually find until post mortem. You're already dead, and they cut you right. open. So that is a real thing. And ironically, psilocybin, um, the psychedelic, is about the only mm-hmm. thing they've shown actually repairs that damage but you have to go to a different country to get that because the men and women that fought for this country our ridiculous prohibition laws forced them to another nation to go in and get the treatment so i think that's well, also change. been so demonized for so long Absolutely. like the, the things that are the things that are actually good for you like uh cbd obviously not anymore but there's so much fake cbd out now it's it's <sighs> irritating um but THC, psilocybin, I know LSD has helped a lot of people as well. Um, ketamine, like ketamine drips. Luckily, those are legal now. And now that psilocybin is legal in Colorado, uh, I think Washington, but I know Oregon, it's, it's legal there as well. Uh, or at least non, uh, or at least it's decriminalized. But it's been so demonized for so long of that if you take this, you're going to you're going to see bugs bunny run out in front of you. Like they don't, it's, it's not, it's treated as like a party drug rather than something that's actually a spiritual experience, which that's what it should be. Um, Cause I, I do microdose, like not as much as I used to, but I do microdose sometimes. And it definitely um, has helped me be a lot more clear and I should probably start doing it again. Cause uh, starting to slur my words more. And uh, I know that's from my brain injuries. So uh, I definitely need to have a couple experiences. Now, how did you find your way into that in the first place? Um, I read this book called The Doors of Perception, and and that kind of drove me into it. And then I looked into DMT as well. There was a book I read. What's it called? Um, oh, The Spirit Molecule. The Spirit Molecule is a really good book. I don't know if you've read that, but it's about them doing tests on, on test subjects with DMT and like recording their experiences. And it's, uh, it's really, it's really amazing. 
but I, and then I was listening to like Joe Rogan a lot and I had dabbled a little bit into psychedelics. Like I'd taken LSD, um, psilocybin, done DMT, but I, well, when I did DMT, that's when I was already kind of like, I guess more zinned out. I knew that I needed to find myself more, you know, try to find like my purpose. Cause I felt like I was getting lost, but, um, after I got into it, I, I met a lot of, especially in the skydiving community, like I feel like psychedelics and meditation and breath work is really big, uh, which is kind of weird for such like a violent, intense sport that people do. It's like the most peaceful people you'd ever meet. And I feel like firefighters, SEALs, everyone is like very peaceful people, you know, like they're not, for the most part, they're not really violent individuals, which is also strange because it's like, you would think those people that go out and do all these crazy things would be like super angry, but maybe doing all those things and being around like, uh, all the trauma experience and like intense situations, maybe it just helps humble you. Maybe, I don't know. I'm not sure. I find the ones that have processed what they do are some of the kindest, most calm people in the world. But I think conversely, unaddressed trauma in our profession creates a lot of anger so you know there's that yeah. kind of like, like deep anger that like kind of resonates over time yeah i think that's how it manifests like i'm gonna give you a perfect example i think a lot of guys report this men and women you know i especially was i was on shift because i was very sleep deprived as well but i'd see someone driving like an asshole and it took all the strength in the world whether i was capable of this or not but my desire to drag them out the car and smash their right. face in because I had seen what happens and it's never that asshole that gets hurt. It's the fucking car full of kids that they kill every single time. So there's right. the anger. It's, it's coming ironically from a place of compassion, but it manifests in this unrestrained negative energy that is, you know, alt and then some people act on it. And that's why you see a lot of, you know, sadly violence, whether it's against other people, whether it's domestic violence in our professions, because if unaddressed, that can become incredibly toxic, not only to ourselves, but to the people around us. Right. Yeah. No, no, I, I yeah, that makes sense. And I, I never really thought about that. I've, I've had a chance to think about a lot of things. <laughs> 600 plus conversations is really kind of re reformed the way I think. Um, all right. Well, then I want to get to you know some closing questions. Just one last thing, because you touched on it. Um, we have Thorn as our main supplement provider for um, HHP, and then Bubs is on board as well. What are some of the supplements that you found have worked for you personally? Um, I've been taking supplements for a while, but I think um, the biggest ones for me has been magnesium because magnesium has been proven to, um, lower, uh, oh, what is it? I was about to, I'm about to make a post onto the seven X project about magnesium and how it, um, can actually help reduce, uh, suicidal thoughts and like depression as well, because it's, um, it's a very low, a lot of people have low magnesium and it's been proven that that's a, a reason why people do end up being depressed or suicidal. Um, zinc has been a big one for me. And honestly, this isn't a supplement, but I take a lot of hemp, like hemp seeds. I implement it into uh, like all my meals 
and then like chia seeds and uh, a lot of mushroom based products. So I drink mushroom coffee, mushroom protein, um, mushroom chocolate, and it all has like lion's mane in it and um, chinga. I think that's how you pronounce it. And mush- I think mushrooms have really been the biggest game changer just because I have had a lot of uh, brain injury and lion's mane is honestly like the, the biggest one for me. And um, sometimes I buy lion's mane and just like chop it up and just eat it uh, just by itself. And it's pretty delicious and it looks crazy too. It's such a cool, such a cool plant or such a cool fungus. Um, but honestly, I think, yeah, over uh, other than zinc and magnesium, like mushrooms have really changed my life a lot i could just imagine give me a lot more give me a lot more focus and makes me a lot more clear-minded and i think fungus has um also been demonized for so long because everyone whenever you think of mushrooms or even when i make a post of me like chopping up because normally i make like five different types of types of mushrooms and then i like saute them and put them in my meal people are like oh you're doing shrooms it's like well no, there's like millions of different types of mushrooms. Like I have a I have a little mushroom book for when I'm in Switzerland and I'm going around and I'll like hunt for mushrooms. It's cool. Um, but I just think that's a very uh, untalked about thing is using mushrooms. I was Definitely. listening to someone, I can't remember it was now, it was either Joe Rogan or Tim Ferriss and it, I was fascinated by, it was a mushroom expert um and oh it's definitely joe rogan i think i know you're talking about yeah and then again it was it was fascinating and i see the the mushroom coffee that's something i need to to try i know there's a few is it mud water i think is one of them and uh but yeah i mean hearing about the benefits i think i think even if i'm not mistaken thorns just released a green you know a greens product that jeff nichols was talking about and i think that's got a lot of the the mushrooms in it too so i'm gonna have to explore that a little bit more Okay. There's also, um, I use four segment. So repeat that again, please. Four segment. Four segment. Okay. That's the, that's the coffee I get. They sell it like target and stuff. Um, but that's been my, my favorite coffee and they, they have a protein powder and it's like, it's really, really good. Um, I think this is the guy you were talking about. There's a, a Netflix documentary about fungus and it's not, not, it's like, it's all about mushrooms and like the different and like the intricacy of mushrooms. And after I watched, that was mine. I had to watch it like two or three times. Cause I was like, Holy shit, this is crazy. Like mushrooms control regions and plants. And they literally like connect plants and trees together to communicate and share nutrition between uh, plants and trees. Like it's, it's insane. Um, I think it's called fantastic fungi. That sounds like that. I've heard Joe talking about that. Yeah. Yeah. That's something you like, you need to sit down and watch it. It's, I think everyone that's listening to this, that's something that you need to watch. It's with, I know this is the guy that, you, oh, Paul Stam- Stamets. Brilliant. That's something I have to try He's and like get the, on the mushroom show. expert. Yeah. He always has like a little mushroom hat on, <laughs> hat made of mushroom. Brilliant. All right. Well, I normally ask for books and or movies, but you've given me two books and a, and a Netflix show already. So let me go to the next closing question. So, so is there a person you'd recommend to come on this podcast as a guest to speak to the first responders, military and associated professions of the world? I feel like right now I would say Ryan would be the guy, but he's already come on. Probably 
if you know who Ryan Williams is, I would say he might be a good guy. Did you say he was the, he's the Aussie, is that right? One of the best scooter guys? Yep. He's X Games gold medalist on BMX and like one of the top scooter guys. He kills it. He uh has a very unique perspective on things. Yeah, off the top of my head, that's that's like the the two guys. You've already got one, but I think Ryan would be a really good conversation. Brilliant. All right. Well, I don't know if you're able to help me make that happen, but he sounds like he'd be an amazing guest. Yeah. 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 No. No doubt. Like he's in my DMs. So, or I should say that like we follow each other. It's I don't want to make it sound like he's like, hey man. <laughs> yeah. You slide into his DMs. All right. Yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> Okay, well then the very last question before we make sure everyone knows where to find you and all the projects that you're involved with. What do you do to decompress? Weirdly, skydiving and base jumping. And and scootering as well. Like it's just uh I I, I used to meditate a lot and do a lot of like um I still do like cold therapy, sauna and all of that, but I feel like that's still putting a lot of stress on your body. I guess like scootering skydiving and base jumping still puts like a tremendous amount of stress but um i think just the whole process and just being around really cool people and like-minded people has really been my decompression um helps me not get like angry really i'm able to kind of let all that like out whenever i'm doing those actions um yeah i would say that's really my decompression uh, sometimes I enjoy just like sitting around reading a book, but I have ADHD pretty bad. So I just always want to be going up and doing something. So I can only read for so long until my brain's like, while I'm reading, I'm thinking about like 50 other things. So I'm not, I'm like reading the book, but I'm not reading it. So, um, I would say doing just activities in general is really how I can decompress. Wait, how do you decompress? I'm curious. Um, one of the things I do is what you touched on. I leave my phone at home and I walk my dogs. So it's two walks it adds up to about three miles. So that's, you know, a solid hour, hour and, you know, 15 a day just doing that. Um, and then uh, just being away from technology. Yes. It's amazing. And then jujitsu is another one I found. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've done it on and off for, for a little while, but I've dove back in properly this time for about the last year. So it's very hard not to be present when someone's trying to choke the life out of you. So, right. So, and then the ocean. I just love the ocean. So I'll, I'll body, you know, what they call it, body surf, you know, on the waves, um, li oh, like a oh, yeah. six-year-old kid for like an hour straight. So yeah, I mean, just just. I feel like it. I feel like also the beach just gives you like that natural co like connection to the earth. You know, you're like you're you're feeling the current. You're feeling like the energy of the earth, like coming in and out. And I, it's just so like so relaxing and even hiking i love hiking too and that's why i like base jumping because it's an adventure to do the adventure you know like you you have this because you're always off trail you're always going like the way that not many really not that many people have ever gone you know like you you might take the normal trail for a minute and then you like go off and everyone's kind of looking at you like where, where is where are they going with those big backpacks you know and uh because you wear a stash bag to like protect everything so nothing gets moved around you got big black stash bags so everyone's kind of looking like what are they up to um but yeah no i think that's really how i find my peace is doing something stupid <laughs> now some base jumpers especially you know the, the origin of the sport a lot of times were off buildings and cities do you find yourself drawn to the countryside when you do your jumps um yeah i really like 
bridges are fun uh just because there's you, there's less to worry about like if your parachute has if you have a 180 you have nothing to worry about there's no like um cliff strike or any kind but it's more dangerous because there's a lot more there's less margin for error but i think jumping earth exits which is anything that's you know cliff or anything natural um those are really really just amazing because you have the hike all the way up to it and normally it's like 30 minutes to two hours and uh you get to like have a conversation with people because uh, i never go alone and and then when you jump it's just this like crazy just visual like it's it's so crazy and then once you open you can fly next to the cliff and then like uh fly through things like through like rock pillars or something and you just get to have this like very unique perspective on on earth and on life in general because you're i mean you are risking your life to have fun and it is dangerous but if you try to do everything correctly and do everything safe and you don't jump in terrible weather. Um, you're definitely stacking the odds in your favor of, of being more safe. And, uh, and then once you land, it's like, you're really bummed. It's over because it's, you know, you have a two hour hike for a 22nd to maybe a minute canopy ride down to the landing area. Um, but it's it's definitely a really cool experience, and just getting to sit up there on top of a of a exit, and it's also a place that not many people get to have that view or perspective from. There's like birds flying around you, and it's really quiet. You don't hear cars, you don't hear planes, you don't hear anything, and it's just so peaceful. And then when you jump, it's silent, and the wind starts catching up to you. You're seeing the rock fly by you. The ground's coming near you. Um, it's it's incredible. It's such an amazing sport. Now, one thing I didn't ask you earlier, what about fear? What is your self-talk or what, what tools do you use to do something that probably 99.9% of the population would never do? I guess it depends on the situation. Like in scootering, I'm definitely way more scared than base jumping um, just because it is like you're more likely to get hurt riding at a skate park than base jumping. Like that's a guarantee. Um, and also it's like more annoying injuries, like snapping your leg or breaking fingers or smashing your teeth out. It's just like really just really shitty injuries to have. So in, in those situations, it's like, you have so many things running through your head of like, okay, like I need to do this, this, if I fall, I got to do this. Um, and that's not very relaxing, but whenever you're base jumping, you have this, um, and skydiving too, but, um, before every jump, you're kind of told that you need to accept the consequences of what you're about to do, because, you know, if something were to happen, you could die. So you have to accept that like, okay, I am doing this activity. If I die, I'm, I'm accepting that, like, I'm okay with it. Um, and it gives you a really weird sense of peace. And I know for your, the average person, that's like, well, you're insane. You have problems. And it's like, um, once you can't, you can't knock it till you try it, not telling everyone to go out and try it. This is definitely not for everyone, but, um, it's, uh, it's very peaceful. Just jumping off that exit, knowing like, all right, like this is it. 
And so you can't really, I mean, obviously you're scared, but you can't let that fear overcome you. But if that fear does overcome you, that's when you just turn around and walk back. Like that's just what you have to do. You can't, uh, you got to trust your gut, you know? And same thing in scootering. It's like, you, you got to trust your gut because, um, you could get hurt and you're still doing a very, something very, very dangerous and, uh, something that's going to be detrimental to your body as well. So, um, when it comes to those things like mega ramps and all that, it's really just trusting yourself, knowing that you're, you're, you are capable of doing it. And that if something were to go bad, like you just got to trust that, you know, what's going to happen, but you also need to accept this, those consequences, especially on mega ramps, because I've seen people miss landings. I've seen people get like really messed up and like almost die in front of me from missing a, a landing on a mega ramp, which is not, not a pretty sight. And, uh, and you know, those things can happen. And once you're able to accept those and once you accomplish that fear, it's like such an amazing experience, which I think a lot of people are scared of a lot of things and they're scared to accept the consequences of something, which is like, so, so minuscule in the grand scheme of things that they won't like put their, put themselves out there to try something new or something because they're just, I don't know, they're just scared. So I think if, if anyone takes anything out of this, just obviously don't go jump off a bridge, but, um, do something that scares you, not necessarily dangerous, but like something that makes you uncomfortable. And that's just going to make you a stronger person in general. Well, just while we're on that subject for a second as well, um, when I'm asked, well, how do we get the more resistant people to understand the the reality that is mental health and mental ill health? Um, you know, the kind of just just the the old school alpha mentality. You know, um, one lens that I found is looking at it for like the athlete. So maybe you think that you're too tough to have, you know, to be affected by the job that we do. But right. if you do not have a clear mind, you can't get into that flow state. So then there's the performance element. So with, I mean, you've mentioned everything from contrast therapy to, you know, meditation and, and microdosing. What is the importance of addressing your mental health for the ability to be present in such a minute, um, extreme event yeah. like a base jump? Well, I, I think you kind of already said it because I think you you have to get in that flow state. You have to, um, one, trust yourself. And if you're not able to trust yourself and you have doubts, that's when you're going to really second guess yourself and not be able to make those instinctive responses that you need to make. Because um, I think a lot of times when people get messed up in anything, whether it's uh, driving a car or anything like that is that they, they really second guess themselves and don't like, I don't know, they're not in that flow state. Even when I'm driving, I, I, uh, I try to get into that flow state of just like being so like focused on what I'm doing. Uh, because I think that's important. I think you should be, like I said, in the, in the beginning is that everything you do should have your full attention, you know, and, uh, which annoys me because sometimes I find myself on my phone while I'm driving and I'm just like, okay, no, and I just throw it on the floorboard. I'm like, okay, no, I gotta, I gotta focus on what I'm doing. And, uh, yeah, I think it's really just finding that flow state. That's really what it comes down to. 
Beautiful. All right. For people listening, um, where can they find you on social media, Undialed? And then talk to me about, you know, where you want to kind of guide people towards as far as online presence so they can start following 7X as well. Yeah. So uh, my personal is Clayton Lindley. Super easy. First and last name, no dots. Um, then I, for Undialed, it's just U-N-D-I-A-L-E-D on YouTube, Instagram. Um, oh, actually, you can follow me on TikTok, but like everything you're going to see on TikTok is on my Instagram. So just go there. Um, yeah, YouTube on or Undialed on like every platform. And then for 7X, as of right now, I'm focused on the Instagram, but I'm starting to post on the TikTok and it's stuff that you're not, not going to see. Uh, TikTok's more focused on um, coming out with like tips for helping your mental health and stuff like that. I just, I filmed with a therapist named uh, Zabiba Badada, cool name. And uh, she's a PTSD specialist and I'm posting uh, five tips with her to helping mental health. The, The first one that I posted is meditation and then the next one's journaling and then there's a couple others so if you want to see those i'll probably post them eventually to instagram but i want to like try to separate content uh between the platforms um there's going to be a rumble account uh for 7x and then there's going to be a facebook page that we're working on and then also youtube and we're working on that as well. Just getting some videos uh, made, and I want to. I'm really going to focus on interviewing people for the YouTube and doing kind of. I, w- I don't want to say vlogs, but I want to do. I want to go talk to the scientists and specialists that are involved with Seven X and human performance, so that way uh, we can see exactly what they're going to be doing to the athletes and what they're going to be testing and what they're going to be looking for. Um, and what they're trying to accomplish. And so those videos are going to be coming out onto the YouTube and Rumble as well. And then obviously segments onto the Instagram. But um, if you really want to follow 7X, it's 7x.project on Instagram. And then it'll probably be Human Performance Project on YouTube uh, once we really get that rolling. And then the same for Rumble as well. So I am excited because we're going to be doing a lot of cool stuff. And uh, can be doing a lot of filming and editing for all this. So it's going to be cool. And I get to talk to some really cool people and I'm going to get a lot of knowledge from it. So that's also something I'm excited about is just learning more about my nutrition and how to be more mentally focused and have, um, I guess a better mindset perspective on life after having conversations with everyone. So excited and also thank you for having me on seriously i uh was excited when you were inviting me on because i feel like i'm quite the opposite of what you normally have on the show so um yeah i really appreciate it seriously 